you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to NFL Films Tales from the Vault. I'm your host, Andrea Kramer. This podcast, for those of you who haven't tuned in before, and if that's the case, where have you been? Well, this podcast showcases some of the greatest interviews ever done by the late, great Hall of Famer, Steve Sable, the president of NFL Films. These are raw, unedited conversations, none of which have ever been heard before in their entirety. Now, I actually started my career at NFL Films as a producer. In fact, Steve was my boss and my mentor. So I love these weekly trips into the vault of NFL Films, and I sure hope that you do too. Today, we showcase a 1997 interview with Raiders legend Howie Long. When Howie Long retired from the Raiders in 1993, he was at the top of his game. At age 34, he probably could have continued to play, but as he said in his retirement press conference, it's time to grow up and get on with life. A year later, he became a studio analyst on Fox's pregame show and has been there ever since. For the record, that was Fox's first season covering the NFL, so Howie has been a staple on that set since its inception. When Steve interviewed Howie at his house in Virginia, of course they talked about Howie's Hall of Fame career on the field, but really the emphasis was off the field. Now, keep in mind that at this point, Howie Long was trying to transfer his matinee idol good looks to the big screen, and anything having to do with movies fascinated Steve. 
So today's podcast is really as much about Steve Sable as it is about Howie Long. So some background on Steve here. His nickname was the king of football movies, but Steve loved all movies. In fact, he and his sister Blair were brought up in a world of home movies. His father, Big Ed Sable, as we always called him, and his wife, Audrey, were constantly filming their children. Steve's cinematic tastes, well, they ran the gamut. He loved Sam Peckinpah westerns, Bonnie and Clyde, even the Claude Lelouch French movies. And yes, Disney Bambi. Go figure that. But look, Steve ultimately was sentimental. He loved going to a theater and wanted to be enveloped in the darkness. The experience. He didn't like streaming. I would not fit in well with today's world of Netflix. He loved movies so much that even as an adult, Steve would go to see movies weekly. But enough about Steve's background and his childhood. Let's go into the vault as Steve dives into Howie Long's childhood. Howie, when you were when you were growing up, is it true that you were you had a fright about public speaking that you couldn't oh, get up and get yeah. in, in, a, in front of a group and talk? People might find this hard to believe, but uh, I, I was really an introverted kid. Uh, lacked a lot of confidence, and I and and that's why I'm a big advocate of of youth sports because youth sports for me was a vehicle to not only grow from a confidence standpoint, but also from a, uh, it gave me more and more of an opportunity to speak in front of people. How old were you when you started to play football? I didn't start, I played on my first organized team of any kind when I was about 15, 14, 15 years old. Were you so big for your age then? Yeah, I was always yeah. big, uh, but played in the street. Grew up in Boston in a you know row home kind of neighborhood and uh, we played in the street. We did everything in the street. I played in the the BNHL and the BNBL, which is the Boston Neighborhood Basketball League and the Boston Neighborhood Hockey League, street hockey. Uh, but that's all I did. We what was it about street. football that, that attracted you to that sport? Well, when I was thrown out of the Boston City School System. Uh, thrown out of school system? Yeah, it was, I, it was a bad rap. Yeah. Steve. What happened? And, and uh, It was the, during the busing riots. Yeah. Uh, ran in some problems, was bussed over to Boys Latin, and uh, was involved in an altercation. And, and the way they were dealing with it at that time was, you were gone. Uh, and my grandmother, who was bringing me up at the time, sent me out to live with an uncle who had lived the American dream and bought the home in the suburbs. And Milford, Massachusetts was the area. And the first weekend I was there was the fall of my sophomore year in high school. And I went to the football game, and they had this old fire engine that drove into the around the football field and they had a band and a parade and they had cheerleaders and i said geez that looks like me it's got <laughs> me written all over it well you were growing up howie what what did you get in trouble for most often oh i wasn't a bad kid uh probably truancy in school a little bit of you know we we shoplifted periodically but it was it, you know I, I looked at it as it was kind of the robin hood theory you know uh I wasn't shoplifting out of, out of uh, just the greed of it. It was necessity. You know, we went down to the Whiting's milk and stole milk, and we'd sit there and drink a gallon of milk. It was really survival. We stole hockey equipment to play in the street. Uh, we did the things we needed to do to get by. When the, how were you academically? Uh, I was always a bright kid, not particularly book smart, but street smart. Uh, that's why I married my wife. She's book smart and I'm street smart and she's street dumb. <laughs> so it worked out well. Fortunately, I've never had a job where I've had to uh, flex my 
academic muscle. You said that back in, in Boston, you were raised by your grandmother. Live with my grandmother and then live with my Aunt Edie and Uncle Mike and then live with my Uncle Billy and my Aunt Ada. Uh, Do you think there was an advantage to living with all those different people or it wasn't, it was, it was confusing and disorienting when you were growing up to have that many different adults? I, you know, I think I have, I, I've probably worked out a lot of problems in my own head over the years. I could have went in a lot of different directions. I was very fortunate. And now that I'm 37 years old and I have three kids of my own, I know what a sacrifice it was for my Uncle Billy, who was basically making ends meet with two kids and two adopted children. Uh, we weren't eating much. Uh, matter How did you get to weigh <clears throat> 280 pounds? I'll tell you, I'll you, tell you what happened. We were eating, we ate macaroni. You know, my Aunt Ada doesn't like to hear this, but we were eating that 49 cents a box macaroni and cheese. The government cheese? That every night, you know, and, and, and it was every other night. And, and they were doing everything they could to make ends meet. And, and that summer, I went down to Philadelphia and lived in Philadelphia and got to eat everything, everything in sight. I went from 221 to 272 in one summer. Uh, I went from tight end to nose guard that summer. Yeah. You're talking about growing up, Howie. What, you have three boys. What did you learn uh, as, a, as a kid uh, that you want to pass on to them? Maybe the experience that you had growing up. What, what are things as, from your experiences that you want to pass on to your children? It's very difficult to, because I've, I've done well um, and, and they don't want for anything. It's very difficult to establish a set of strong values for your children. And unfortunately, I didn't know how to be a dad. Uh, I, I didn't have one around most of my childhood. So I learned as they went. Unfortunately, my 12-year-old suffered through the first five years of his life while I was trying to figure out how to do this. I was better at being a nose guard or a defensive tackle than I was being a dad. Uh, and I'm proud to say that it's a work in progress, but I'm, I'm getting better at it every day. And I'd say the most special moments in my life, more so than anything I've ever done, anything, anything, was when my 12-year-old, after two years of struggling in Little League Baseball, uh, probably more so because of my not being as good a, a baseball dad as I should have been when, I was, when he was a kid because I was so engrossed in playing professional football. Uh, but we've worked at it the last three years, and he suffered the first two years. You know, he really had a struggle. And he's hitting 600. He hit one over the fence the other night, one of four kids that hit one over the fence. And he's, he won the game for them the other night, big game. And just to watch him realize his abilities and, and enjoy himself and get a taste of success and what price it takes to gain success has been the most rewarding thing for me. I can be on a shadow of a doubt more so than anything. So that struggling 12-year-old that Howie's referring to, that's two-time Super Bowl champion Chris Long, the eldest of Howie and Diane's three boys. Chris is now 36 years old, just a year younger than Howie was when this interview was conducted. Kind of crazy, right? It was quite a contrast between the childhood that Howie had growing up in a pretty rough Charlestown, Massachusetts neighborhood and where he raised his boys in Charlottesville, Virginia. But let's have Howie tell you about it. Can you compare the way he's grown up to, to the way you grew up? No, no. There's nothing that, the, there's no, no similarity at all. He's a late bloomer physically uh, 
And I, I think I can, I can draw analogies through that, but beyond that, no. Uh, he's never had his lunch money taken, you know. Well, who took Shoot, your I got money? my I got my butt kicked till I was about 11 years old. And then I think I, I can remember the exact fight. Uh, I just got my rear end handed to me. It just got bullied and bullied. Man, I was like 12 years old. Uh, I dropped my first kid and, and realized, yeah. hey, I don't have to take this. Now, how'd you drop it? Just with a punch? Straight right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it was a straight right. Now, when you went to, to Villanova, yeah. Did that was that the first time that you ever thought that you might have the ability to to make a career out of playing pro football? I really never gave, and my wife went to Villanova with me, and she'll tell you the same thing. Uh, I never gave pro football a second thought. Uh, never imagined that I would be good enough to play in pro ball. Uh, what happened was uh, a player was injured in the Blue Gray All Star game. I, matter of fact, I missed the final three games in my senior year in football. I was once again. Expelled from Fruency. school. No, I, I was in an off-campus altercation in Philadelphia. Now, what's an altercation mean? It's a what? fight. No, okay. <laughs> it's right. a better way of saying <laughs> a fight. <laughs> and I got caught. I was at the door of the place, and and the cop cars pulled up, and this was at a house in Philadelphia. A few friends had been jumped and beat up, and we went back down to get their stuff. Uh, they had been robbed, and the cops pulled up. I spent the night in jail. It was like I think it was fifty dollars to get out, but I didn't have fifty dollars, so. Uh, missed the last three games, so I, I never really gave a consideration and got a phone call and a player was injured in the blue-gray game. And I was called down to substitute for this player and played against a guy from Texas A&M and uh, won the MVP, had a big game. Jimmy Johnson was the coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to, you're not supposed to rush the punter. And uh, I tell with I rushed the punter, blocked a punt, we scored a touchdown. and. <laughs> You know, Jimmy wasn't real upset that we won. <laughs> Jimmy liked to win. <laughs> well, now, when was the first inkling that you were going to get a tryout at the N in the NFL or that the NFL was interested in you? Did somebody call you? It was you? the blue-gray game. Suddenly, I, I think I think what scouts try to do, and, and, you know, you can understand what they're doing to a certain extent because it's their rear end on the line if they recommend a kid from Villanova who's had less than a stellar career at Villanova and had all the physical talents, you know, run the 40, the vertical jump, and do all those things that really make no difference. Uh, what was I, the most unusual workout that you had? Probably when the guy from the Colts came by and ran me on the front lawn of my dorm on a Sunday morning at like 9 a.m., knocked on my door, woke me up. I didn't have any cleats. He didn't care. He had a girl in the car. I, <laughs> it, it, really, what they were doing was they were just doing their job, checking off. Yeah, I worked him out. You know, I remember the one, the one guy who ended up with the Raiders as a personnel guy, worked for one of the combines, and you always had to find a way as a scout to cover your rear end. Runs great, great vertical jump, uh, doesn't use his hands well, lacks toughness. This was the one guy. And I said, geez, you know, if he could have said That's anything. That's what they said about you? If he could have said anything. You know, I never lacked toughness. That wasn't the problem. Maybe I couldn't find the ball or uh, maybe I wasn't as dedicated as I should have been when I was younger, but. Uh, but a Raider scout said in the scouting report that No, not a Raider scout. He worked for one of the combines, like Blesto. What are the name of those combines? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Blesto and I forget. Yeah. yeah. And I jumped his ass when he came to the Raiders. I jumped his ass. I, I tore him up and down. I mean, it was anything. I, the first two years, I think, with the Raiders, I was 68-0 I was, uh, uh, <laughs> in practice. 
Uh, what do you mean? You had to fight. Yeah. You know, it was, I, I wasn't a good football player. Uh, I, I was a, a self-made football player. Uh, I, I, I was getting blocked on a daily basis, and the only way I knew to compete was to fight. Um, and I, I just survived. Survival really seemed to be a common theme for the early part of Howie Long's life and career. I guess that's just the mentality of a fighter. And when I say fighter, I'm not just referring to Howie's altercations, if you will. In 1981, while he was in college at Villanova, Long was a boxer and won the Northern Collegiate Heavyweight Championship. Yes, folks, that really does exist. We didn't make that up. (laughs) When we come back, Steve and Howie delve into Howie's time with the Raiders and talk about the only man that ever intimidated him, but not physically. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome back to Tales from the Vault. There's never been a shortage of colorful and memorable characters on the Raiders, no matter where they played, Oakland, Los Angeles, or even Las Vegas. Of course, the late Al Davis, he liked it that way. He liked that reputation of swashbuckling rogues. It was a role that Howie Long ultimately embraced. but. For a kid fresh out of Villanova on the main line of Philadelphia, imagine walking into a locker room with twos and the mad stork. Well, it was a little bit jarring, needless to say. But one of the people that really helped Long acclimate to the pros was his defensive line coach, Earl Leggett. Leggett actually scouted Long in college and was the one who recommended him to Al Davis and ultimately had such an impact on Howie's career that Long chose Leggett to present him when Long was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2000. Do you remember what your first impressions were of the Raiders coming to that organization? I remember I walked in the locker room for minicamp. They just won the Super Bowl. And uh, at that time, it was a a real collection of players. Uh, Looked like something out of a movie. I'm from, you know, Philly and Boston, and... You know, Oakland could have been the other side of the world as far as I was concerned. And then John Matuzak walks in and Art Shell and Gene Upshaw. And I felt like a real kid uh, because it was, it, was, it was very, 
when you're 20 years old and you walk into that environment from Villanova where you're playing in front of 6,000 people, it can be very intimidating. Uh, Did you ever doubt that yourself, that you, that, that you oh were God, in the I called home. I remember calling home to my grandmother. And half the family worked for Boston Housing Authority, which is the projects back there. And uh, half the family worked through my Uncle Mike, who has since passed away. My Uncle Mike was the first one, and he was there for 30 years. And he got my dad a job, and then he got my Uncle Billy a job, and so on and so on. And I called home to my grandmother, and I said, tell Uncle Mikey I, I, I might need a job. Uh, this was in minicamp, because I was never more sore, never more beat up. Earl Leggett took me to another level of physical commitment that I had never been to. Uh, just, it was, it, as far as I was concerned, it was space. I'd never been there. Uh, he challenged me physically, mentally. Uh, he made me a football player. What about your first meeting with Al Davis? Um, really didn't know much about him. Uh, wasn't really a pro football expert. Uh, uh, found him to be a, a real character. Uh, seemed to be a man. It was the first time I'd ever been around someone who wasn't physical, who was intimidating. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was kind of uh, Marlon Perkins' wild kingdom where I came from, you know, where the big, big strong survived and they were the intimidating people. Well, here was this guy who really wasn't anything physically, uh, but was very intimidating. Uh, what, what made him intimidating? He had an aura about him. Uh, I, I jokingly called him Darth Vader. He could choke you from three rooms over. You know, he had that air about him. He, uh, he was a very powerful man. Obviously, you took a lot of pride in your toughness, but was there ever a game where you just took a real old-fashioned ass-whipping? I took a real old-fashioned ass-whooping in 1982 from a guy named Jackie Slater. Uh, Jackie Slater took me to school. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, he had the mental toughness. He had the physical toughness. He had the, the veteran savvy. He knew what he was doing. He was a true all-pro. And from that game on, every time I played Jackie Slater, I was after his rear end. Uh, you know, you got you to answer the bell. You got to answer the bell. Uh, Jackie took me to school, and I should thank Jackie for that. Jackie uh, woke me up. When you say he took you to school, what, what do you mean? Oh, he, he knocked me every way, but you know, uh, out of the stadium. Uh, if it was a, if it was a draw, I'd be sprinting up the field as if it were a pass, and he'd hit me with that left club, and he'd club you in the head. And if you weren't prepared to play, you got gobbled up. You got eaten alive. You better bring it, or you're gonna get your ass handed to you. And you're gonna get embarrassed, not just get your ass handed to you embarrassed. Jackie kick you, he'd bite you, he'd do whatever it took. Uh, and after that, I kicked Jackie, bit Jackie, clubbed him in the head and got after his rear end. You think that as you grew in stature that players would say that about you? That if they were going to play against you, that, that you better bring it? Or I'd like to think so. I, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that if people would say one thing about me was that I, I brought it every play. Uh, you know, when, when a John Elway says to you, uh, I was with John Elway, I think, the night I decided to retire down in Atlanta. And uh, we had had a couple beers. It was maybe five in the morning. <laughs> and the bar had closed, and they locked us in the place, I remember. And uh, I told him I was going to retire. And uh, no one was probably, the two people that were more tickled pink than anyone else were John Elway and my wife. Because my wife would have me finally at home, and 
John Elway wouldn't have me to deal with at work. Because uh, I had some great battles with John. I always felt John was probably the guy I enjoyed competing against the most because I thought John was just a phenomenal player. Phenomenal player, phenomenal leader. He f just found a way to do it. Uh, if there's a guy that deserves a ring, it's him. When you were at the height of your career and uh, a scouting report had been written on you, what do you think it would say? Uh, the game, in my mind, has changed a little bit in recent years where it's become so specialized. Uh, I took a great deal of pride in playing every conceivable situation there was to the best of my abilities. I tried to take no plays off. And my mindset was, when I played, that I'm going to get blocked, but I'm gonna bring it every single play. Uh, and I did that. Uh, one coach said to me one time that the thing you'll regret most when you leave the game is if you don't give it everything you have. Uh, and I, I have no regrets. Uh, I gave everything I had, was a total football player, not as talented as a lot of guys, but uh, I brought it every play and, and uh, asked no quarters and gave no quarters. Matt Millen once told me about you. He said that your greatest asset was your insecurity. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, it's funny, I played 13 years, you know, you think about it like this. I played 13 years in the NFL. I went to eight Pro Bowls. I was on one of the two defensive ends on the all-decade team. And I never enjoyed my career. Uh, it wasn't until I retired, honestly, it was not until I retired when I sat down and said, you were pretty good. You know, uh, I, I never, I had, I'd have five, I had five sacks versus the Redskins in their heyday in one game up at RFK. And on the ride back to California on the plane, all I could think about was the four run plays that I blew. Um, yeah, I never really took myself all that seriously in terms of ability. And it drove me to, I was in that constant quest for perfection and never realized it. Uh, but in, during that quest, I never enjoyed my career. But you must have enjoyed the game to get- Oh, I enjoyed, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. But I never, I, I, there was so much angst over what I didn't do right, rather than what I did right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like that with everything though, I really. Uh, well, let's say, Howie, if you could go back to your career and relive one moment, one feeling again, what would that be? The Super Bowl in 84. Uh, I was 23 years old. It was my first year starting. I was defensive player of the year. I was defensive lineman of the year. We went to the Super Bowl. Everything happened so quickly. And I thought, we'll be back again every year because we're so good. We had 11, 12 guys at the Pro Bowl. Uh, there was no free agency. Why wouldn't we be back? Well, you know, there are a lot of intangibles and you come to find out how difficult it is to get there. Uh, I would have enjoyed that moment a little bit more because this will, this, you, you might not ever see this again. And uh, when you walk in the stadium and you spend the whole week down there and uh, I remember we got stuck in traffic. We took a cab to the stadium and yeah. we had to walk the last three quarters of a mile Three or four of us, yeah. To the Super Bowl? To the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> now they've got armed guards and, you know, 
they have escorts and the whole thing, but. One of the, the things that, that I've heard about you is that you really enjoyed a practical joke when you were with the, with the Raiders. Oh yeah, we always did. Uh, I, I was a victim of quite a few. One night I got to the hotel and uh, I watched film for two, three hours when we would have home games. When we were on the road, I'd watch more because we had a couple of days usually. And I didn't get to bed till 11.30. I didn't even turn down the bed because I would squat in front of the bed because my back was bad. And I pulled down the bed and there's a big fish underneath my covers with a note in the mouth. And uh, I had done something to this person and his- Is that Jeff Hostetler? You could say it was, it was a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and the note read, don't ever blank with me. <laughs> and I knew who it was. And it's, and it's a Hyatt. They don't have maids at 12 o'clock at night, so my bed stinks like fish. And it's wet. And, you know, where do I sleep? So I ended up sleeping on the floor that night. Yeah, I, 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 had, I had taken part in quite a now, few. Now, when you used to travel, somebody told me that you wouldn't use your real name. No. You, why not? I stayed under... Uh, it, the, the NFL makes it very difficult for you to relax on the road because they publish the hotels you stay in. As you well know, you get the black book through the NFL and it lists the hotel where you're staying and there's 100 people in the lobby and everyone wants to talk to player A, player B, or player C. So you get the call from down in the bar. Hey, Howie, come on down and have a beer. You remember me? You know, which is fine. But I have an agenda when I go on the road. My agenda was I had my VCR under my arm. Uh, I packed my own VCR. I'd take my tapes. I'd get my room. When you say your tapes, these are football tapes. Football tapes. Yeah. And I, I would watch hours of additional tape review. I felt if I could get an edge on two or three plays in an entire game where I knew what was going to happen, uh, it was worth the four or five hours I spent additional on top of what everyone else had watched. And I didn't like to be bothered on the phone. I still don't. I stayed under John Wayne, Charlton Heston, uh, Bobby Orr was one of my favorites. Uh, I stayed under a number of names. And if we lost a couple of games, I changed the name. Well, didn't you say once that you stayed that you couldn't beat Bobby Orr because he was actually there? He it was, was yeah, at the same really, hotel the same, as it did turned Did you know off. that when you checked no, in as Bobby Orr? No, we already have a Bobby Orr here. No, I couldn't stay as Bobby Orr. So you went to the hotel, checked in as Bobby Orr, and the person at the desk said... Uh, right, well, we already have you as checked in, Mr. Orr. And I said, no, I, no I'm, I'm not really... Switch it to Charlton Heston. <laughs> because I always wanted to be El Cid. Let me jump in here with a little Celluloid 101, an old movie history lesson for our younger audience. El Cid is a 1961 classic old movie with Charlton Heston and Sophia Loren. Now, if you don't know who they are, just Google them, okay? Well, anyway, Charlton Heston was known for these big epic movies, The Ten Commandments, Ben-Hur, and in most of his movies, he played these larger-than-life figures. El Cid was a sword-swinging knight. You know, the hero that got the girl. That was who Howie wanted to be. El Cid was probably the movie that changed the way I uh, looked at movies with Sophia Loren and Charlton Heston. That part at the end where oh, they, they mount him up on the, the horse, horse and sun's the gates over love and, you know, he marches out. They're all numbered 20 to 1 and the, the armies retreat. Who was he fighting? The Mahdi, right? Yeah, the Mahdi. Some, some guys with odd-shaped <laughs> swords. I don't know. Uh, but they say he's still riding on the beach there in Spain, yeah. 
He was my favorite, Charlton Heston. When I met him, it was a real thrill. Uh, a real thrill. As I warned you at the top of the podcast, this episode is as enlightening about Steve Sable as it is about Howie Long. And there is plenty more movie talk yet to come. When we come back, Steve and Howie get into Howie's movie career. You mean you just thought he was a TV star? Well, let's just say that this interview took place at the peak of Howie Long's movie career. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The first mainstream movie Howie Long was in was called Broken Arrow. You know, the classic 90s action movie, lots of explosions, one-liners, a plot to blow up the world, you know, <laughs> the standard stuff. It was directed by John Woo and starred John Travolta and Christian Slater and Howie Long. So Travolta was the primary bad guy and Howie partnered with him and against Christian Slater. Not to be confused with Hall of Fame tackle Jackie Slater, who was six foot five, 336 pounds, and gave Howie his biggest ass whooping of his career. We're talking about five foot nine, 165 pound Christian Slater. This is only relevant because, spoiler alert, if you're going to go back and find Broken Arrow and try to stream it, it was Slater who kills off Howie's character by throwing him off a moving train. Like that could ever happen in real life? Now, do you feel strange about being asked to be a villain in the movies? I mean, when a broken arrow... A lot you... of people had a problem with that. Who had a problem? Uh, just the public, you know, yeah. going through airports or whatever. Yeah. You know, I've never... What do you mean, going, what, somebody come up to you? Yeah, and say, you know, you were great in Broken Arrow, but, you know, this bad guy stuff, I don't know, you know. It, it really doesn't fit me real yeah. well. Uh, you don't you don't want to have an altercation, in other words, uh, in the movies. You don't want your personality to be uh, uh, described by that. No, even in Broken Arrow, though, I was a bad guy who inevitably uh, found a conscience and tried to avert. Yeah, but you got killed. At the end. Yeah, it was yeah. a good death, though. Yeah. My old man had a real problem with that. So did my kid, that Christian yeah. Slater had whipped my butt. <laughs> <laughs> what scene would we be able to see your, your game face in uh, Broken Arrow? 
I did a lot of lurking in the background because <laughs> John Travolta was the star. <laughs> they said I had eight lines. I got away with, I think I had maybe nine. Well, weren't you supposed to get killed off in that movie early? I was and supposed then John to get killed Woo, off. But- yeah, John Woo was very kind to me. Uh, I was supposed to be there for four weeks, and uh, my wife had her game face on when I called her and told her I wouldn't be home for another three months. It was a long movie. Well, how come you got? They didn't. They decided to let you live because you were doing that. John, John, uh, I had never been on a movie set. Had never taken an acting lesson, and I said to my wife, "I said this is the biggest scam I've pulled off yet." I mean, it's just remarkable that I'm here. I'm sitting in a career and with John Travolta in a car. And uh, we do the first scene we're doing together. And he says, hey, that was pretty good. He said, what have you done before? I said, nothing. And he said, well, where'd you study? I said, I haven't. I said, I'm studying right now. I'm watching you. <laughs> but like I said, you draw from, you draw from other people. Uh, he seemed pretty good, so I'll try to do what he does. Why do you want to be an actor now? Why? It's another challenge. It's something to either succeed at or fail. I, you, you need that fix. I need that fix. I need the fix of uh, an, another challenge. You know, the, the broadcasting was a challenge to me. And I wanted to go in and I wanted to be, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the studio. I didn't want to be doing games. I wanted to be in the studio. I wanted to have the opportunity to be on camera and, and succeed in that, that aspect of television work. And, then I knew I wanted to be in the movies. I wanted to be in the movies since I was a kid, though. My life has been just a ride, and, and I don't necessarily know where it's going, but I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. Uh, I never know. I didn't ask to be in the movies. I didn't ask to be in the NFL. I didn't ask to go into broadcasting. That was the only thing I ever really wanted to do, was uh, be in the movies. What's the toughest thing about being an actor? The toughest, is it memorizing your lines, or is it, you know, being able to... Like, if we were doing a scene right now and you had to cry. The toughest thing for me is probably, and this sounds simple, but it's the time commitment. It's being away from home. Uh, that's the hardest thing, trying to balance family, the television, and, and the film men. Say, so I have a window to work between January and a little bit into September, maybe. And that's my window. It looks like next Next January, I'll do one film, and then right away in June, I'll do another film. And then I'll go right into flying across the country 22 times. Have you gone to any school or anything now to learn about acting? Has anybody been able to do that? Have you gone to, like, Lee Strasberg's method acting? No, I'll tell you, funny, this is a funny story. The acting coach, I go to, I go to do Broken Arrow, and uh, this acting coach, they sent them. She walked up and introduced herself. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm here to work with the actors, and you know, for some of the, because there's a lot of some tough scenes in, in, in this movie. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking around. Here's John Travolta. Here's Christian Slater. Who's she going to be working with? <laughs> she's here to work with me. She's trying to make me feel like she's here to work with everybody. But I mean, I'm sure she's going by John Travolta's room and working with him at night. So not only that, she calls me up. and We finally, we're going to go over this big scene where I call back to the base with a fake distress call and uh, tell them the nuclear, one of the nuclear weapons has been opened up and uh, we talk for an hour and before we do it. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm hungry. My wife's down in the room with the kids. I want to go see her. Are we ever going to do this? This is an acting coach. So I finally do the scene and she says to me, where'd you feel that? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I felt it in my, I guess in my head. She said, I felt it in my stomach. It was, it was like 
Heartburn. No, no, wait, wait, wait. It gets better. Rays of sunshine were pouring out of every pore in my body. I'm sitting there. I could everything I could do. I said, if the boys could see me now. <laughs> but that was it. And and then I went and did the scene the next day. It was the first day I shot. And I guess the studio felt confident that I could maybe pull it off. And I never saw her again. Have you ever been hurt in any scenes while you've been making a movie? Yeah, there were two scenes. In Broken Arrow, I had a problem. Uh, there was one scene where I was between boxcars on a train shooting. Oh, that's a, where they blow you out of the side of the train? No, that I did that too, but that didn't hurt that much. It's just a ratchet. It's like you're standing here and then you're back there in a split second. It's like a fun ride. But we're, on, uh, we're in between the train and I'm riding on the ladder and I'm shooting at a helicopter with a machine gun and the train goes into a tunnel. The tunnel knocks me off the ladder. I fall to the other ladder, and I kept having to fall hanging on my left shoulder. My left shoulder shot. So that hurt, but then the Did big... you tell anybody that it hurt, or, or did you... 15th take, because yeah. they were having lighting problems going from exterior yeah. to interior yeah. tunnel. I said, if you don't get it this time, we're done. You know, that was yeah. the only time I griped the whole film. But then... Because uh, wouldn't you feel sort of funny about that, this big, tough football player, right. and then you're asked to do something, you say, oh, I can't do it. Well, I'll tell you what, that shoulder, boy, it's, it's yeah. held together with glue and sticks. There's... Now, how about the new movie, Firestorm? Ah, uh, yes, Firestorm, Howie's new movie, which was released in 1998. Now, try to follow me here. He played a firefighter trying to rescue civilians from a forest fire. Only there were these escaped convicts also in the fire pretending to be firemen searching for $37 million in stolen cash that was, for some reason, buried in the forest where there just so happened to be a raging fire. I'm assuming that Howie saved the day, foiled the bad guys, and got the girl, but full disclosure, I never saw it. Of course, knowing Steve Sable, he probably did. This was Howie's first and ultimately only leading role. Two years later, he starred in 3,000 Miles to Graceland, you know, the one with Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner playing Elvis impersonators planning to rob a casino? Ice-T was in that movie, too. That was probably a really fun set to be on, but back to Stephen Howie talking about Firestorm. Broke two ribs on that. Uh, Do you ever break ribs playing football? Never. And it you was, never broke any ribs playing? No, it was a very unique thing. I, I've broken everything but my ribs. And what what was happening was we were up in Vancouver and it was getting late in the year. We were overtime and, you know, the snow was coming down. It's like two in the morning and uh, the lake water's 38 degrees and we're I'm supposed to run down this dock and dive in this lake after the girl and do all this. And they kept having to blow torch the dock because they were getting some black ice, you know. And so I hit a patch of black ice and I've got an axe attached to my waist because I'm a smoke jumper, a firefighter, yeah. a forest firefighter. I flip up in the air and the axe handle hits the ground first and drives the axe head up into my ribs. So I break the two ribs. Did you so know that uh, when that happened? That I knew uh -oh. something was wrong. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't breathe at first, obviously. Yeah. It was like taking a good... Get the wind knocked out of you. Yeah, I get the wind knocked out. I figured I'd be fine. So yeah. I go to try to do it again. And in that scene, I'm yelling. I couldn't even open up my mouth. Do you have a problem uh, you know, with your lines? Do you have to study the night before? It's an before? action movie. Yeah. So you don't, what do you have, like about a page or two? Screw <laughs> <laughs> No, it, no, you must have something. You, you know, know, it's significant. Do you have a love scene? No. No? If what I have a love either? scene, pan back to the house. <laughs> there would be an action film taking place right in there. <laughs> See, I married an Italian girl from Jersey. They don't play oh. that. No. 
So now what's after Firestorm? What's next? Have I just signed on to do a picture with Morgan Creek called Field Test, which is kind of uh, the Dirty Dozen meets Predator on steroids. Now, what do you play? Uh, I'm the lead. Uh, well, the I don't lead, know. Is it the Predator or The what? lead military guy yeah. who goes into this island on a test mission and against this mutant that the government has invented for uh, jungle warfare. Rather than send our troops in, they try to uh, come up with this ultimate killing machine. And unbeknownst to us, it's we're part of the test. Have you ever met Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Now, how much bigger are you than he is? I don't know. You know, everyone seems to be the same. I, I don't look at people as being, oh, he's 5'8", or he's 5'10". But he's, he's, he's not as tall as he's you He's about six feet tall, I'd say. So is Arnold Schwarzenegger about my height? No, you're taller than Arnold, I would say. You're that? Yeah. Really? But he has much bigger arms. Uh, well, I don't know. He vacks his arms. I've got my arms. Yeah, he so. looks good. So, but do you ever see yourself in that kind of a. I don't think Arnold's kind of... ever had a cheesesteak hoagie. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, Arnold's good. You know, I, I, the thing that's in, in everything about Arnold Schwarzenegger, the most impressive thing about Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is in here. Very bright yeah. man, very astute businessman. I think he owns half of Santa Monica. When, when you're done some of the movie scenes, is there anything about doing the movies now that you can relate to, to being in professional football, some of the discipline, the, the, the organization, or certain things that are the same? Or yeah, is it just totally... Things that people in that industry feel that are demanding and difficult are like a walkthrough on a Wednesday in football. So football, for, for me, has been a great measuring stick for just what hard work is. Uh, sure, I can take a lot of the discipline that I had in football and, and translate that into both television and also into movies, but uh, nowhere near uh, the amount of work that goes into preparing for a professional football game. You can't even compare the two. There's no comparison. Okay, that's it. We got it. Well, I'm actually getting the last word here on the Howie Long interview because, listen, I love the podcast form, but you do miss out on some visuals. So I, I, I want to tell you what that last scene looked like when Howie and Steve were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. As they're talking about Arnold's arms, Steve was actually flexing for Howie Long. Now, what many of you may not know about Steve Sable, and I told you we were going to learn as much about Steve Sable maybe as we were about Howie Long in this episode, Steve was a champion bodybuilder. In 1965, he was crowned Mr. Philadelphia, and the photo of it is still hanging in his office at NFL Films. Steve's bodybuilding career didn't exactly take off, just like Howie's movie career didn't turn out as he probably hoped. Firestorm, as the Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus put it, quote, failed to ignite Long's career or anything else for that matter. Ouch. There's no Oscar for him and probably won't ever be one. But that's okay because he's in his 28th season on Fox. He's been nominated for an Emmy 13 times. And not long after this interview was conducted, he won the award for Best Studio Analyst. Next week, our trip into the vault finds Steve sitting with the Hall of Famer who manned the middle of the great Chicago Bears defense, Mike Singletary. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. I'm Andrea Kramer.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.